How you feeling? Getting pumped Born up? Born in the USA. Sorry. Who sings that? The boss. John Bovey? The uh, Bon Jovi. Yep. That's a Bon Jovi song, right? Uh, Bruce Springsteen. Mm. Agree to disagree. He's got the little handkerchief in his back pocket. You might be right. I don't know what I'm talking about. Welcome, everybody. It is Saturday at noon. That means you're in the right spot for another episode of the Mega Strange Podcast. Welcome, one and all. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm doing good. Uh, the mic is at an angle right now, so I'm, I'm like trying to face it. Last week, we uh, revisited one of our proto-episodes. We went Bigfoot hunting out in the desert. Yeah. And we included a forgotten clip from our billionaire episode about some of the most expensive food in the world. Um, people were uh, happy enough to point out that we thought beluga caviar came from beluga whales, even though whales... Don't lay eggs. It's it's like which is what caviar is. It's fish eggs. Yeah, it, it sucks because that's like one of those things. Something po someone points out to you, and it's like, of course, I know a whale is a mammal, but yeah, the name beluga threw me off. It caught us off guard. Yeah, because um, you know, it was just beluga caviar. Yeah, and the only I didn't know there was such a thing as beluga sturgeon. Me too. So I actually learned something this week. I did too. There's more than one beluga out there in the ocean. And it's confusing. And frankly, I don't dig it. I think we need to have a Highlander-esque death match between all the beluga whales and all the beluga sturgeons. Because there can be only one beluga. Uh, this is a side tangent. I learned today that uh, it might be really dangerous to swim humpback whales because they can make like a click noise under the water that could just like make you fucking have an aneurysm <laughs> if you swim too close to them. What? They can click you out of existence? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah like Thanos. Uh, they make a noise underwater, and it's just like the fucking like pressure of it because they're so big. They do like a... Yeah, and it's so they're so big, and it's so loud. It, like They do a tongue click, and it like reverberates into your spine yeah, and like disconnects the amygdala <laughs> yeah. oblongata from the uh, central cortex. Yeah, exactly. And you're just done. Yep. Well, um, luckily, we're not going into the ocean this week, and we're not going to the desert, but we are going all the way to the great green north. We traveled to the city of Seattle this week Woo! to explore some Seattle urban legends, ghost stories. We actually visit the most haunted location in Seattle. Some people say it's the most haunted location in all of Washington, I will go on record to say it's the most um, annoying location in all of Washington. That's yep. right. We're talking about Pike's Place home, Marketplace. Home of the first Nutter's Coffee. Home of the original Nutter's Coffee. Uh, I say this because, well, I've gone to this market in the past. Not ghost hunting, just seeing the sights as a tourist in the city of Seattle. Yeah. It was different this time. There were it, ghosts, all right. Yeah, it was uh, obviously we're here post pandemic and things have changed. Um, cities have changed. The situation on the streets have changed. I've yes. never been in a place that had so many tourists and so many 
people living on the street going through hard times all in one spot. It was a little bit hellish, to be honest, yeah, to no, be there. <laughs> um, we did we did film some segments there. We went ghost hunting. We tried to tell some stories, but we were like constantly being interrupted by uh, tourists thinking that we were giving ghost tours. Yeah. Uh, like getting in our shots, interrupting us. Um, people clearly on drugs. I mean, I saw people openly smoking crack while we were ghost hunting. I, I saw... <laughs> I saw a lot of meth. It uh, was kind of scary. A lot of people like passing out uh, little squares of tinfoil. Like, yo. Yeah, we were trying to find the supposed location, uh, locations of these famous entities and trying to give a little bit of the ghost history there. But yeah, as you said, the uh, world's first Nutter's Coffee is there. Yeah. There's about 300 people lined up outside trying to get a cup of coffee. There's another 50 people just gathering across the street trying, trying to take selfies in front of it. Cars are passing through because this is an operating street. And then there's, yeah, these people like just sprawled out everywhere. It was a little nuts. Um, yeah. We even went with our mysterious camera person and they got so scared they had to turn the camera off immediately. Um, we thought it was a ghost. Turned out it was more like a Frankensteinian. We saw, we saw Frankenstein type monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was quite an experience. I think we should roll the tape. Yeah, and let people it. see for themselves what we experienced. This is us ghost hunting at Pike's Place Market in Seattle. Welcome. We're here at Seattle's Pike Place Market. Johnny, you're looking a little freaked out. Yeah, I've never been here. I, I'm always weirded out when I'm in a new city. We are here at the most haunted location in the city of Seattle. Some people say the most haunted location in all of Washington state. Uh, supposedly, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of confirmed entities that haunt this market. Um, some have very real locations that they're known to go to. Yeah. We're going to go to those locations and try to see if we can shake them out today. Yeah, this is a pretty bad and bougie place, so I hope these ghosts are really bad and bougie. Yeah, but you know we're going to see some strangeness camera person because I want you to look right over there to our mascot. Who's that across the street? Oh, fuck. I didn't even see that. That's right, baby. The cryptids are here. So <laughs> we're already in the Squash spot. Man. We're already having good luck. We're going to go in there. We're going to hunt some ghosts. I think we're going to start with a ghost. Here we go. All right, everybody. We're here at the gum wall. Very famous gross. gum wall. Camera person, take a spin around. Look at this gum wall here in case nobody, everybody at home hasn't seen it. This thing is strange in and of itself, but it gets even stranger <laughs> because the gum wall is also the entrance of the alibi room, a dance floor that is said to be haunted by the ghost of the founder of this market, Frank Goodwin. Johnny, what do you know about Frank? Uh, Frank was one of the original founders of the market. He died in 1954, kept an office space next to the basement and frequent dance floor of what is now the alibi room. Right there, right behind us. We're this is his office. This is the window to his office. Oh shit. It's been covered in disgusting gum. <laughs> it probably pisses him off. Yeah, it pisses him us. off. Do you wanna know how he haunts the place? Yeah, tell us. Um, he's seen as an old man at the bottom of the alibi stairs where he introduces himself as Frank and asks if visitors need help with directions. 
just so, as he would in life. So in about two seconds, we're gonna go over there, see if we can find him. But Frank's not the only one here. His nephew, oh shit, Arthur Goodwin, who also helped develop this market, is also said to haunt this market. Not at this location, but upstairs in the window of what is now known as the Goodwin Library. Oh shit. You might see Arthur Goodwin peeking out of his window late at night, watching people pass by. He was the market director here for a lot of years. Okay. And now that he's dead, he can't give up the job. <laughs> All right, camera person, follow us. All right, let's go. We're gonna walk around the corner here. We're gonna see if we find Frank oh, Goodwin. Oh, okay. It's a lot of gum. This is real gross. Ugh. Apparently he leads people to these stairs to too. The stairs. Okay, now we are freewheeling and dealing, ex exploring the haunted market. I think the most famous ghost here, walk with us. Yeah, sure. I think the most famous ghost here is somebody named Princess Angeline. Okay. A Native American woman who died in, I believe, 1896. She's said to uh, be located in the lower parts of this market. Um, supposedly there was a treaty made with uh, her people by the city of Seattle that everyone in her tribe was forced to leave the city. She refused. She stayed here in a shack right here at Pike's Place. When she died, her spirit remained here. She said to walk around with a cane and a shawl, oh, shit. moving deliberately slow. And I have found reports that she has a strong and pungent odor that proceeds her. So if you smell something a little bit fishy here in Pike's Place Market, it's probably not the fish market. No. It's probably Princess Angeline. We're gonna go to the location where she said to haunt right this way. I think it's down here. Okay. This place feels like a old mental hospital. Some real reporting. Um, wait, hold on. Where do you call home? Just one step away from live, laugh, love right there. Um, Let me give you some history. Sure. Here, take the phone. Part of the reason why this market is so haunted is because it was built right next to the location of the city's first mortuary. Um, built by a, a man uh, named Goodwin. The Goodwin Mortuary was where most of the dead people in this city would pass through. Um, I even heard reports that they would do some medical treatments there when people were ill, okay. and they would try to starve the illness out of people. Oh. I read a report that said a shaman went into the mortuary. Uh -huh. People doing some chants. I don't even know if the camera's picking that up. I hope the camera can hear the ghost chants. <laughs> I heard a report that a shaman went into the site of the mortuary and confirmed 19 different emaciated spirits living there. Okay. Emaciated spirits. Because they tried to starve the illness Hungry. out of people. Hungry ghosts. They would starve sick people to death. Uh -huh. What a miserable way to die. Of course you're going to haunt this place. And now there's just a lot of tourists and coffee and fish. And Noah is also here. Air conditioning, the coolest, the coolest and the best. What is here? What's also here, supposedly, is the world's first Starbucks. Oh, yeah. Is the world's first Starbucks haunted? Yes. Okay, everybody, we're here in front of the magic shop, which is supposedly said to be haunted. Mm -hmm. 
said to contain a haunted crystal ball. You've been on the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland? Yes. You remember the crystal ball with the woman's head in it? Uh-huh. I think that could be taken from this ghost here. That makes sense. Uh, this is a crystal ball that's supposedly haunted by a woman named Madame Nora. Okay. Uh, as the story goes, this restless spirit used to haunt a different store here called Pharaoh's Treasure. Apparently, a woman brought this crystal ball into Pharaoh's Treasure once wanting to trade it. Um... But the old woman warned the shop owner that the spirit of Madame Nora was residing in the crystal ball. The owner thought it was bullshit, and he took the ball in. But almost immediately, unexplained things began to happen. Um, objects moving around during the night, strange noises, things like that. Madame Nora is said to have been a woman who ran a place in this market called the Temple of Destiny. Oh, shit. In the early days of the market, she practiced crystal gazing, Egyptian sand divining, which I didn't know was a thing. Apparently, you can tell the future by looking at sand. Yeah, I've heard of that. I gotta go to the, you can tell the future by looking at anything. Water, fire, yeah. <laughs> air, air, um, and Indian psychic projections. She evidently continues to leave her paranormal imprint on this building today uh, with strange occurrences happening uh, here, once the crystal ball was passed to this magic shop. Unfortunately, the magic shop is closed. Yeah. So we can't go inside and see the crystal ball. But, uh, oh, shit. but you can see uh, this guy. some other freaky shit happening in the window here. I didn't realize he was moving. I don't like that. You know what? Fuck it. Give me the camera. I'm going to see if I can see the crystal ball. Okay. You get in there? You seen that shit? Where's Houdini? I don't know. Where's Houdini? Everything we try to do on this damn show is locked. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to make sure we uh, get this guy. I love him. Saint Bozo? Yeah, he's, he probably could do magic better than I can. Um, unrelated to any ghost shit, I'm going to show you something that's truly horrifying. A real clown shoe. You think a clown made these shoes? A Frankenstein. Frankenstein. I'm still rolling audio. She's but not. We'll put this audio in the episode, I guess. There's a man like ambling and screaming. If that's not a fucking ghost. Yeah. I don't know. I think we just is. saw a fucking ghost. I think we just got fucking haunted. Yeah. A guy in a suit just walked through here fucking screaming and ambling. Where did he even go? I don't know. I can still hear him screaming. That's generally scary. He was in a full three-piece suit. And he had nice shoes on. And he was stomping through here. Like his heart was on fire. I fucking... Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that guy was just like... On something. On something, but, but man... I, I think we saw I want to believe. That was a ghost. Okay. Well, we've been walking around. We haven't really been able to find the location of Princess Angeline. Nope. 
if I was a ghost, I would leave this place because Same. this place is extremely touristy. Or is that the best place for a ghost I to don't like know. annoy the most people? Um, real quick, camera person, you can swing over there, and there's a building across the street with mannequins on top. I believe that might be the location of the old mortuary, 1921 Pike Street, the place that started all this ghost madness. Ghost madness. But as of today, it's just the site of the original Starbucks with about a 300 person line around the block of people waiting to get in there. And then probably another 50 people just standing across the street trying to get a photo of themselves in front of it. Yeah. Uh, next to it is, what was it? There's a place called Perosky Perosky. I've only heard of Perosky's. I want to try it, but there's a gigantic line. But there's another line that goes around the block in the other direction. Uh, we tried to get away from there. But then we just started finding modern buildings. Yeah. So, I would say when it comes to ghost hunting, this place is probably a bust. Especially right now. Maybe if we come back at 3 in the morning. But yeah. I don't want to do that either because no. this place is also covered with like uh, crackheads <laughs> and tweakers. Yeah. And uh, I just put my arm in some bird shit. So all around. Good luck. It's, it's, it's been quite, quite an experience. <laughs> I wanted to come out here and get a shot of Mount Rainier. Uh-huh. But it's a cloudy day and you can't even see Mount Rainier from where we are today. Cloudy in Seattle? What? Yeah, it's crazy. But that's not going to stop us because we're going to go back to the studio and we're going to talk about what I'm really excited to talk about for this episode the mount rainier kenneth arnold ufo sighting of 1947 the first modern american ufo sighting the first ufo sighting in america the sighting that kicked off the flying saucer craze and i'll tell you we did a ufo episode a few months back i didn't leave that episode feeling one way or the other on the subject Okay. After reviewing the evidence for this story, I'm convinced UFOs are real. I'm not saying they're aliens, but something is flying around out there, and it is unidentified. We're going to get into it right now. This is the Kenneth Arnold UFO sighting segment coming up. We got to get out of here. Yeah, we, we got to really we get out of here. No ghosts, just tourists. It's yeah, time to go. Just vaping tourists. All right, we're back. Uh, uh, there's something you said to me after we finished that that has stuck with me for the past like week. Okay. Or I guess it's been only been a couple days. Since That's been then. about a week, yeah. Uh, you said that was a combination of UGG boots and drugs. And, no, and meth. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yep, that, that's the best way to describe it. Pretty it pretty much, yeah, was like moms in yoga pants with strollers and then people smoking crack and yep. doing meth. Uh, so... Yeah, kind of a bust going to that location, but that didn't stop us from finding out some extremely interesting and strange stories from the city of Seattle. Yeah. Um, and one in particular caught my attention, um, and I mentioned it briefly in that video, and that is America's first modern UFO sighting, which happened uh, around Mount Rainier, just outside mm. of Seattle, on June twenty fourth, nineteen forty seven. Uh, can I ask you? Can I put a pin in this for one second? Yeah, because I would love for you to tell the audience about the time you interacted with Frankenstein in the bathroom. 
Okay. <laughs> Is that okay? All right. I, I feel yeah, bad. sure. Yeah. Uh, before we get into this modern day UFO sighting, yes. uh, I guess to go back to Pike's place, did we even, did we have footage of that guy? Yeah, we do. Okay, that's in yeah. there. So they, they saw him running around at home. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, audio of it as well. Nice. And then you also saw us out on the balcony trying to wrap it up, and I like stick my arm in a giant pile of bird shit. Uh, which you commented later that yeah. you were really impressed that I didn't like you. Yeah. You had like, up the take. <laughs> I, I know you and I, I know that's like a, like a day ruiner for you. And you were like, just put my arm and shit. Cool. Uh, well, we'll see you guys at the studio. Like you kept going. <laughs> that's <laughs> not a day ruiner yeah. for me. I just needed to like get cleaned up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So after I had crap all over my arm, I tried to find a bathroom, which was the most annoying part of the day because People were just walking so yeah. slow, and I was like, this thing is, like, dripping all over Ugh. me. And I finally find my way into a bathroom, and I'm, I'm just at the sink washing up. I have to wait to use the sink. And who is in there? None other than Mr. Frankenstein. <laughs> and he's still doing the... Ah, ah, and I just see over in the main stall, like, arms coming from above <laughs> the door and just, like, removing clothes, like jacket and shirt and stuff. Who's hot? Uh, he probably is overheating because he got hold of the wrong stuff. So that was my second experience with Thank that you. character. Does that satisfy you today and your monster <laughs> uh, quota? Yeah, that does. Thank you. So, um, Johnny, you just sit back. I'm going to tell you a little story okay. about some flying saucers. And I think I already said this to you, but in researching this episode today... I think I might believe in flying saucers. I, I think I, I might. Well, I don't believe in flying saucers necessarily. I believe in UFOs. Yeah. Which might sound like a very non-committal statement. Mm -hmm. But I think that the definition of UFOs as unidentified flying objects or as they are now known, uh, UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon, Okay. Uh, I like that. Is undeniably real. It is occurring. It has been occurring for hundreds of years, centuries. And there is just too many sightings, too many people having seen these things in the sky to deny that they actually exist. Now, what are they? I don't know. Do they come from another planet? I don't know. But something is up there. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's hard because like I know a lot of you know that that big Tic Tac video. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people theorize that maybe that it was a smudge on the lens. Sure. Maybe. Which would make sense, like why it was going at the same speed. Maybe that as one was the aircraft and everything. But I don't want to be like a full on skeptic. Like if they're unexplainable, then there's you know they're unexplainable. They're unexplainable. Like we yeah. don't know what they are. Um. So. It all comes back to Seattle. It all comes back to Mount Rainier. It all comes back to the first modern-day UFO sighting, mm. which, as I previously previously mentioned, happened on June 24th, 1947, uh, when private pilot Kenneth Arnold claimed that he saw a string of nine shiny, unidentified flying objects flying around Mount Rainier. Um, this was a few weeks before the Roswell incident. Okay. And what he described... I didn't know how close that was to, like, World War II. Yeah. 
I never realized that like right after that, it's like, well, World War Two is tied to this story okay. as well. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to some elements of World War Two. But what he described, it wasn't quite like a saucer. Yeah. It was kind of like a half moon. He actually like uh, made a drawing of it, which I could show you so you could understand it. Maybe we could put this picture up. But this is what he described right here. Okay. Right? It's like a half disc that tapers in the back. This is like a top view. That's a side view. That is what kind of became known as the flying saucer. And it's this sighting that kind of popularized the term flying saucer in America, which then in the 50s became like, you know, a cultural icon. The whole sci-fi movement was all about flying saucers and aliens, and it all kind of stemmed from this report. So that's where like... Uh, the flying saucer stories came from okay this this report so let's talk about this guy who is kenneth arnold uh well he was a pilot he's from minnesota that's basically all there is <laughs> that i mean the, he he's just a normal guy you know it's like the 40s real boring life like guy likes to fly a plane worked on a farm played football, you know, worked for some fire control supply company in Boise, Idaho up until 1940. Sounds like he's about to become the Green Lantern. Yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> your all-American average dude. Um, I could give you a little bit more background. He attended the University of Minnesota. He coached mm. football uh, there. But essentially, what everybody can agree on is that he's a normal guy. Yeah. He is not... He's a very trustworthy eyewitness. He's an amateur pilot, and as time went on, people always said Kenneth Arnold was an extremely credible witness, and we don't think he's making up this story. Okay. So as the story goes, uh, on June 24th, 1947, he was flying from Chehalis, Washington to Yakima, Washington, but he made a brief detour after learning that there was a $5,000 reward for the discovery of a U.S. Marine Corps transport airplane that had crashed near Mount Rainier. So automatically, the story starts kind Little of with sus. this interesting hook. Oh, yeah. Like, it's funny to me that this UFO sighting starts with, oh, one of our planes crashed. Could yeah. somebody go out there and find out what happened? Mm -hmm. They're offering a $5,000 reward. This is in 1947, so I guess that's the equivalent of $58,000 today. So imagine you're an airplane pilot. You're just out for uh, a fly one day. I think he was going to attend an air show for fun. And then it comes over the radio like, hey, $60,000 to anybody who can find this marine airplane that just went down. Okay. You'd probably take a shot. Go look for it, right? So he takes a detour and he starts flying towards Mount Rainier. It says a few minutes before 3 p.m., he gave up his search and started heading um, east back towards Yakima, when he saw bright, a bright flashing light similar to sunlight reflecting in a mirror. After about 30 seconds of seeing the first flash, he saw a series of bright flashes in the distance off to his left, about 25 miles away, circling Mount Rainier. He thought they might be like reflections on his airplane window. and So, so he started doing these tests as a pilot. He started rocking the plane back and forth to see if he could get the reflections to like come through the glass. Um, he took his eyeglasses off, uh, you know, even later on, cause this is the forties, he would even like roll his window down and have nothing in between him, but still he saw these bright flashes and little orbs. Um, the reflections, so he claims came from flying objects. 
They flew in a long chain, and for a moment, he thought that they might be a flock of geese. But he quickly ruled that out for a number of reasons, including the altitude, how high they were, the bright glint, and obviously the very fast speed that they had. Um, you know, he didn't know what he was looking at. Maybe it's geese. He also considered that it might be some sort of like experimental aircraft that the army was testing out. Weather balloon. Perhaps it was a weather balloon. Whatever these things were, they were coming towards him and they were coming towards him fast. And they actually passed in front of, uh, they passed in between him and the mountain, Mount Rainier. And he said that sometimes they would appear dark in profile against the snowy mountain. Um, but they would also give off these bright flashes of light. And he kind of described them as like flipping over themselves. Like this is where the flying saucer description came from because he described it as like if you took a saucer and you threw it across uh, some water and it was like skipping and flipping and, and kept on going. Okay. So these things were like tumbling um, they were diving in and out of the mountain peaks and valleys up there on Mount Rainier. And he said that sometimes they would like turn onto their edge and seem so flat that they were almost invisible. So from a top view, it was kind of like a half circular disc, but from a side view, like very thin. He realized that these objects would have to be huge, just from the distance he was viewing them, from the size they were, um, he thought that it would have to be as large as like an airliner. Uh, later on, the Army Air Force would get involved and do some analysis and estimate that whatever he saw was between 140 and 280 feet long based on their analysis of visual acuity, human visual acuity. Um, these things were kind of moving more or less on a horizontal plane. And he said they weaved from side to side, started darting through the valleys. Um, but eventually they passed his airplane. They outran him. And as they were like moving away, he, um, was able to use some gauges and he estimated their speed was 1700 miles an hour, which he thought was incredible so he actually lowered his estimation to 1,200 miles an hour. But in 1947, that would still be three times faster than any known aircraft okay. at the time. My mind is doing a lot of mental gymnastics right now. I'm like thinking about time travel. Okay. <laughs> like in my head, I'm like, I don't know if I want to like think like necessarily like alien just because like that would be some crazy technology of like how does like something even survive in, in in such a flat kind of ship and in my head i'm doing like this weird like my imagination is going wild imagine like oh maybe in the future we do stuff that like makes stuff like that start happening in the past like you know uh when we try to make black holes with the hydron collider or whatever the fuck it's like maybe it, it causes ripples in time or something I'm, I'm going on a little tangent. You might be onto <laughs> something there. You might be onto something there because what he described seeing, uh, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, sightings like this have been happening for centuries. Yeah. And I'm going to get into some of these sightings from the medieval ages that supposedly match up with what he saw. But Kenneth Arnold was not the only person to see this. Yeah. In total, I think there were 16 
corroborators of this story, um, including a man, a prospector named Fred Johnson, who was on Mount Adams, who told the Army Air Force Intelligence that he saw six objects on June 24th, about the same time as Arnold, uh, which he viewed through a small telescope. He said that the objects seemed to disturb his compass, mess with the uh, magnetic needle on it. Um, And the Army Air Force Intelligence Agency found him to be a credible witness. Um, It's always always farmers. Yeah. The Portland, Oregon Journal received a letter on July 4th from somebody named L.G. Bernier of Richland, Washington, who lived 140 miles east of Mount Adams. Um, They wrote that they saw strange objects flying over Richland almost edgewise towards Mount Rainier about one half hour before Kenneth Arnold reported seeing the nine orbs flying by the mountain. Um, Bernier, the, the guy who rode in, thought that the three things that he saw were part of a larger formation, and he indicated that they were traveling at a high speed. About 60 miles northwest of Richland in Yakima, that's where Kenneth was flying to, a woman named Ethel Wheelhouse reported seeing several flying discs moving at fantastic speeds around the same time as Arnold's sighting. Um, and then what people consider to be the primary corroborative sighting actually came a few days later when a United Airlines crew um, en route from Idaho to Seattle spotted five to nine disc-like objects that kept pace with their airplane for 10 to 15 minutes before suddenly disappearing. And like I said, all in all, there were 16 corroborators who saw these orbs flying around Mount Rainier. So, yeah, Arnold sees these things, and he lands, and immediately he tells the people at the airport what he saw. He has a friend who works there um, named Al Baxter, and this is about an hour after he's seen this. This is 4 p.m. Baxter doesn't believe him. He thinks okay. it's bullshit. Kenneth Arnold's like, okay, you think I'm crazy. I'm just telling you what I saw. And then he takes off to, to continue on to the air show in Yakima. But by the time he lands at Yakima, somebody from the first airport had phoned ahead and said, this guy is coming in and he saw something. You need to talk to him. So when he lands... Um, the MIB showed up? Well, basically, the Army Air Force Intelligence shows oh. up, and he reports like they did not scoff, uh, they did not laugh, and uh, they wanted to set up an interview with him. News started getting out about this sighting, and some reporters came and interviewed him uh, the following day. And what one uh, historian says about these reporters' opinion of Arnold is that Arnold had the makings of a reliable witness. He was a respected businessman and an experienced pilot and seemed to neither be exaggerating what he had seen nor adding sensational details to his report. He also gave the impression of being a very careful observer and the details impressed the newspaper men who interviewed him and lent credibility to his report. Um, so... All in all, everybody seemed to think that he was a credible witness. The Army Air Force investigated him as well. Yeah. Somebody named Lieutenant Frank Brown and Captain William Davidson 
And they pretty much came to the same conclusion that the journalists had come to. Their report says, It is the present opinion of the interviewer that Mr. Arnold actually saw what he stated he saw. It is difficult to believe that a man of his character and apparent integrity would state that he saw objects and write up a report to the extent that he did if he did not see them. Despite that, the official report from the Army uh, Air Force Intelligence stated that what Arnold had seen was a mirage. That's their official report. Uh, okay. Does it like? Hmm, does it get hot over there? Is it was it summertime? It was June. It was hot. Okay. You know there have been a lot of skeptical explanations for what Kenneth Arnold supposedly saw and some people these are some of the explanations of what it could be snow covered peaks reflecting sunlight that's one theory that's very plausible um phil uh the san francisco examiner said that arnold might have misidentified meteors coming down on the mountain Oh, does that happen? And um, some people have even speculated that perhaps he saw a flock of pelicans. In response to these skeptical explanations, UFO enthusiasts has said that the meteor theory would require impossibly slow speeds and durations for brightly glowing meteors on a horizontal trajectory. They also said it would be impossible for a bird to be as bright as reported by Arnold and that birds would not be able to fly as fast as Arnold's plane and would not have been able to outrun him to his relative position. Okay. I like to believe that, you know, the military is just constantly testing certain things out and they just don't get declassified for a very long time. So like maybe there's like, certain type of weaponry or, or something that they're, they're just testing out. Yeah. Well, apparently Arnold, you know, he had that theory too. He's like, yeah. maybe this was missiles. Maybe this was weaponry, but the army air force opened up an investigation with the help of the FBI, um, to gather all of these credible sightings about unidentified flying objects they considered Arnold's sighting and the sighting of the United Airlines crew to be one of the most credible sightings they had. Okay. And what it evolved into was the uh, Air Force's first official investigation into UFOs, something called Project Sign, which kind of lasted for about 50 years, it evolved into another investigation called Project Grudge, and then it evolved again into the better-known Project Blue Book. I don't know if you've ever heard of any of those. I've heard of Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book, yeah. Well, essentially, this is the United States government's um, branch to investigate UFO sightings. There is a lot of controversy with Project Sign, Project Grudge, and Project Blue Book because a lot of the people who were in charge of those agencies were hardcore skeptics. Okay. And a lot of people say they did not want to accept anything that that didn't fit into their narrative of naturally or easily explainable phenomenon. Yeah. You know, I looked it up and... 
a lot of things were explained away by Project Blue Book, Project Sign, and Project Grudge. Weather balloons, aerial phenomenon, you know, sun dogs, things that could be explained. What's a sun dog? It's like uh, when the sun has a strange reflection in the sky and oh. might make it seem like there are multiple suns up there. Okay. But we just lost the light. That's all right. They're coming for us. They found that almost 20% of the cases were legitimately unexplainable. Legitimately, they had no idea. They believe that people... 20%, one out of five reports. They, they believe that people saw what they claim they saw, and they have no explanation for what it was. I have a video here oh. that supposedly is some UAP, some UFOs. Kenneth Arnold said he saw nine flashing orbs. Look at this video. Tell me what you think about this. Look, nothing in the sky at all. <laughs> and all of a sudden... It's a very specific... Oh, what shit. Anybody tell me what that is? We're in the middle of the ocean. On a ferry. Nothing around. Look. Okay. Nothing around. No land, no nothing. There you go. Um, that's cool. That's really cool. Just mysterious lights in the sky. That's what we're talking about. We don't know what they are. Yeah, like, I don't know. But how, people see this stuff. How flares work or anything, or if that's like a fleet of something. But, like, that's crazy to just, in the open water, see just unexplainable light like that. People see this stuff. Yeah. People see this stuff. And what's... That's definitely not a blimp. What's interesting to me is, uh, so we have the term... UFO, mm -hmm. and that's a more acceptable term than flying saucer. Flying saucer kind of has this connotation to it, like you're a kook, right? Uh, oh, flying I, saucer, man from <laughs> Mars. I think it just came from a very old time. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, we still have saucers, but no one really calls it a saucer anymore. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. The term UFO became the preferred term because... These unidentified flying objects came in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Yeah. But they weren't completely random. People were seeing the same crafts. Yeah. You have flying saucers. You have orbs, orbs, light spheres. You have cigar-shaped cylinders. And you have the infamous black triangle. Oh, oh shit. The black triangle. You ever heard of that? No. You look up UFO reports, uh -huh. and sometimes people talk about these black triangle vehicles. In fact, they say it was a black triangle that flew over Arizona in 1997. Okay. And people have reported seeing a lot of black triangles in um, Britain as well. And that would align with, you know, pyramids and all that type of ancient alien stuff. Well, check this out. So in doing this research, I found out that UFOs um, have been... These reported sightings date back to the medieval ages. Yeah. And there's this one really famous event that happened in 1561 over the city of Nuremberg where some people think an extraterrestrial battle happened in the sky because there was so much phenomenon reported in a newspaper. They actually did a, a woodcutting of it. Look at that. That's what they describe seeing. There are orbs 
flying discs, cigar-shaped UFOs, and the Black Triangle all there. I... (laughs) Let me read you. I, I just want to, sorry, I just want to unpack my thoughts here. It's just like, y- this is an old drawing. We're going to, th- it's a wood cutting from yeah. 1561. Uh, this thing is 500 years old. Yeah. It's, it's just like, I know they're like, this is like their version of what they're saying. But if you actually saw like this in the sky, it would be horrific. Bro, you want to know how they described it? Yeah. On the morning of April 14th, 1561, this is a translation from the a newspaper printing of the time. So apparently this is a eyewitness report. Okay. At daybreak, between 4 and 5 a.m., a dreadful apparition occurred on the sun. This was seen in Nuremberg in the city by many men and women. At first there appeared in the middle of the sun two blood-red semicircle arcs just like the moon in its last quarter. I think I figured it out. And in the sun, above and below, on both sides, the color was blood red. There stood a round ball, partly black in color. Likewise, there stood on both sides other balls in large numbers, about three in a line and four in a square, also some alone. And in between these globes were visible a few red crosses, between which there were red strips becoming thicker to the rear and in the front like rods of reed grass. Intermingled within the small and big rods, there were three or four more globes. These all started to fight amongst themselves so that the globes which were first in the sun flew out to the ones standing on either side, and thereafter the globes outside the sun flew back in. The globes flew back and forth among themselves and fought vehemently with each other for over an hour. And when the conflict was most intense, they became fatigued to such an extent that they fell from the sun down upon to the earth as if they all burned. And they then wasted away on the earth with immense smoke. After all this, there was something like a black spear, very long and thick sided. The shaft pointed to the east. Whatever such signs mean, God alone knows. And then the rest of the article just goes on to talk about God Almighty and just relaying this to church and some strange thing. My first thought process goes to like... Let me just say, before you say your theory, this isn't far off to me. There's a lot in here that is reminiscent of the ancient UFO we described in the Heaven's Gate episode. Yeah. When we talked about the UFOs that they believed have been described in the Bible. Um, oh yeah. For me, it's like before you got to like the stuff landing in the ground and causing smoke and stuff. You see it right here. Yeah. Like in my head, I'm like, Oh, what if there was just like an eclipse happening and everyone's looking at the eclipse and that like fucks your eyes up where you'd see like spots and stuff. Look at this illustration. I know, I know. Look at this. Can we put this on the screen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. Okay. Everybody at home, look at that. That doesn't look like an eclipse. Because it looks like a fucking Star Wars happened. It <laughs> Yeah. It looks like Star Wars yeah. is like, happening. Yeah, like that's the fucking uh, uh, Star Destroyer and this is all the fucking everyone fighting. <laughs> yeah, totally. It it and And that's what some modern UFO theorists think. Some sort of extraterrestrial battle happened over... Uh, Nuremberg. So that's the Kenneth Arnold sighting. 
kind of from beginning to end. Okay. We, we kind of glossed over it. And we've talked about how these sightings go back to the 1500s. Um, but they're still happening in modern times as well. And you may not th- believe in flying saucers, or you might think that's a passe thing from the 50s. Yeah. But supposedly, flying saucers have been sighted in America as recently as 2006. Uh, Because in 2006, United Airlines, which again, this is United Airlines. Is that the airline that's most likely to see a UFO? That's the airline that's most likely to uh, fucking... Have some shit happen to it. Take you off the flight. Isn't that what happened with them? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Captain, I saw a UFO. I was like, get the... Off the plane. <laughs> person. Twelve people, uh, twelve crew members of a United Airlines flight at Chicago O'Hare Airport reported seeing a flying saucer hovering above the gate for 15 minutes before it shot up into the sky and disappeared. Um, the FAA never launched an investigation into what was reported, and United Airlines denies that anything happened. Okay. Other than strange cloud formations. But I have the audio from that day. From the like the black box or something? From the flight control uh, tower. Okay. Let's just play this audio. This was what the call was the day supposedly 12 people saw a UFO at Chicago O'Hare Airport. Just want me to play the audio or do you want me to? Just play the video at the beginning of it. There you go. Oh, shit, dude. The pilot, the ramp guys, 12 crew members uh-huh. saw a flying disc hovering above C-17. Go ahead and skip a little forward in this video. Sure. Sue's fucking covering some shit up. What does Sue know? Uh, how it's just far? Yeah, right there. Skip to about uh, a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah, right there. To the clouds last fall. You might think that only five years after... Oh, wait, go back a little bit, go back. This is uh, somebody else's YouTube report about it, but this they have uh, actual news reports from the day. Here's CNN talking about it. Yeah, right here, right here. That's great. That's great. story you may have already heard about, United Airlines employees who swear it was something otherworldly in the skies above Chicago's O'Hare Airport on November 7th. Several airport workers, some of whom have talked to the... I think I've heard of this before. ...who say they saw a saucer-shaped UFO. They saw one, a UFO. They say it hovered over a terminal without lights before shooting straight up right through the clouds last fall. That's it. Yeah, that supposedly is one of the most credible modern-day UFO sightings. Okay. Um, 15 years ago, right here in America. So, it's still happening. I want to believe. I want to believe, too. I don't know what these things are, but they are definitely out there. And, yeah, we've seen the Tic Tac. We've seen the UAPs. Uh, You know, Marco Rubio definitely wants to get to the bottom of it. (laughs) Remember when I played the wrong Marco Rubio clip? (laughs) 
Yo, he's talking about like murder or <laughs> yeah, sexual like assault or something. Or something. That was, that was wild. Up. Uh, all of that comes straight out of the city of Seattle. If it wasn't for Seattle, we might not even have UFOs. That's everything I have for this week's episode. That's same here. All right, thank you for taking me on this journey. Uh, I I, I want to just state for the record that uh, I'm not like just a huge curmudgeon and I'm like, UFOs don't exist. Like, I, I think that it would be dumb to think that there's no, you know, life out there in space. I forgot one element oh, of the shit. story. Kenneth Arnold, by the way. Was it Benedict Arnold? No. Oh. Uh, as he started sharing his story and going around and being interviewed by the Army, other pilots uh, from the Army around World War II came to him and said, what you saw... The, the U.S. military warned us about this when we were going into World War II. Uh, they warned us about Foo Fighters, which was basically... Like, Don't listen to learn to fly, dude. No, uh, the, the term Foo Fighter, yeah, yeah. It, it comes from these UFOs, but basically yeah. there were these orbs, just like we've seen, UAPs, UFOs, unidentified flying objects, unidentified aerial phenomenon. In World War II, the pilots didn't know if this was Nazi technology or if it was some sort of enemy aircraft, some advanced enemy aircraft, but they reported seeing these things in the sky, but they would never attack them or become engaged in combat. And so they had no explanation for them. Okay. And essentially uh, these pilots were advised, like if you see these things flying around, we know about them, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Don't fight them. You can like track them and make reports, but you're going to see these out there. Um, so That's I don't know. I don't know creepy. what to make of it. I don't know what to make of it. You know, just to get back to what you're saying, it's yeah. like, yeah, I don't know what these things are. Yeah. I don't know where they come from. I don't know if they are even sentient. Are these things? I really like intelligent? my theory that like we send ripples back in time or something. That's my like romanticized version of it. All I know is something is going on up there. Yeah. Something is going on in the sky. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it is. Just like Neil deGrasse Tyson would say. It, maybe he's not aliens. We don't know. We don't know. That's what it means. We don't know. Such a buzzkill. Yeah, he is a buzzkill. <laughs> I'm not, though. I'm here to say keep your eyes up to the skies. Uh, hey, if you have any UFO sightings, send them our way. Tell us your story. That's what I want to know. Or leave it in the comments below. Yeah, please. I would love to hear... Or if you, you know, I'm going to even extend it. I'm going to go ahead and extend it. If you have a cousin or a friend who saw a UFO. Okay. Go ahead and, and tell us the story in the comments. We will share uh, some eh, credible sounding stories on a future episode of Mega Strange. Sure. But I don't know what's going on, man. I really don't. Some Some orbs are up there. Some burning bright lights. Some Foo Fighters. We got Foo Fighters caught on tape. <laughs> what do we make of it? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I have no words. Uh, I really hope one day I can see a UFO, though. I uh, don't. Really? It would be too much for me. I've definitely like driven home late at night and seen like a fucking light in the air. I assume, always assume it's just an airplane or something, but... Uh, Maybe I, maybe I saw one already. Now you know better. Yeah. All right. That's going to be our episode for this sure. week. Uh, we thank everybody for 
joining us. Next week, we're going to have an interview with a very, very special guest. Do we want to say who it is? Sure. I'm down. Um, New Japan, Young Lion. From the LA Dojo, baby. Alex Coughlin is going to talk Coughlin. to us. Yeah, Coglin. <laughs> you calling me out? No. I, I still, it's on. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Yeah, we're gonna too. talk to him directly and see. Yeah, we're gonna figure how to this pronounce out. it. Uh, we're gonna be talking about his life, his career. Yes. And apparently, he is a Mega sixty four fan. We're gonna find out how nerdy he is. You're not gonna want to miss it. Nope. It's gonna be a great episode. So be sure to tune back in. Uh, we are here every Saturday at noon and we are uploading bonus clips to our YouTube yes. channel on Tuesdays, little bite-sized nuggets, um, things that don't make it into the show or highlights of the show that we think are really great. So check those out and you know what? Pass them around. If you want to get somebody hooked on this show, that's the perfect way to do it. Just a little teaser appetizer to whet their appetite, get them salivating for the strangeness. And if you know you're, what I'm talking about? Yeah, and if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I wish I knew how to help the boys out. I wish I could support this podcast even more. Just uh, click that like button, leave a comment, share it, you know, spread, spread the love. Yeah, let's work that algorithm. Yeah. Come on, leave a comment, like it. Uh, be sure and subscribe to our channel and, uh, you know, set up like a chain letter email yeah. where, and you send it to 10 people. And if they don't all subscribe, um, Bigfoot will come and abduct them in a spaceship. Do you ever get one of those? Did you, have you ever? Yeah. One? When I was a little kid, they used to scare the shit out of me. Really? Yeah. Like my mom would get ones that were like, send this to nine friends or else you're going to die, wake up dead or something. Upcoming episode, we're going to deep dive chain letters. Yeah. Where did they start? What's the scariest thing that's ever happened with them? There's a super famous virus that's involved with those. We're going to get into that. it. You're not going to want to miss it. That's another reason to subscribe to our channel. Did I say subscribe? I, lo I love it. It's late, y'all. Yeah. I'm slurring my words. This coffee is not working. I'm just babbling now at this point. Yeah. You know, we've been going for so long. I I don't want to end. I'm having too much fun. Yeah, we're having a good time. Um, yeah, I don't I don't want it to end either. Should we just sit here in silence? No. Okay. We're going to go. Stay strange, everyone. We'll see you next time. Uh, this is Derek and Johnny, the Mega yeah. Strange Hooligans. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.